Crazy Talk is part of the AudioWorks podcast network. You can find out more at audio-works.co.uk. Other podcasts on the network include the Five Film Death Punch podcast, a twice-monthly interview exploring guests' five favourite films featuring directors, radio hosts and more, and the AudioWorks podcast, weekly long-form interviews with interesting, successful and funny people. Check them out. So hello, welcome to Crazy Talk. What episode is this now? Jesus, I think it's episode six now. Um, my name is Mega Megius Fand and I'm here with another fortnightly slice of mental health chatter. Um, if you've been following the podcast, you might know that this episode is a week late. Um, kind of had a really busy couple of weeks personally um, over the last kind of two or three weeks. Um, and you'll find out why at some point, I'm sure. I can't really talk about it too much now, but I've had yeah some pretty good stuff happen for me personally, so I've been dealing with that, but ready now to uh, get another episode out to you. So this fortnight's guest, well, successful, independent, sassy, not necessarily words that most people would immediately associate um, with someone who lives with a mental health condition but my guest on this episode is all three of those things and more. Andrea Melendez Acosta has a degree in genetics from University College London. She has worked in the scientific publishing industry for 10 years and somehow despite achieving all of that has managed to successfully battle depression for many many years. And with her experience in dealing with depression, Andrea was actually a a real beacon for me when things got really tough a few years back. And she was a constant source of reassurance, advice and support for me during that really tough time, despite not necessarily knowing me all that well. I mean, we knew each other fairly well. Andrea was basically my sister's college roommate. Um, So yeah, she didn't really owe me anything, but she was really there for me. Um, She's an incredibly inspirational person and I'm sure hearing her speak about her experiences will help a few of you too. So here goes, this is my chat with Andrea Melendez Acosta. mentioned that um you have a genetics degree you've worked in scientific publishing for like 10 years is that correct am I wrong in saying that no you're correct okay so that all sounds kind of stressful yeah 
how I mean I mean obviously I don't want to like make any assumptions so you can just you know I guess explain your situation your experience with mental health but obviously for me like I don't know with with my situation with like anxiety and depression I don't know how the hell I would get a degree in genetics um so yeah (laughs) I think if I'm really honest I nearly didn't get it Mm -hmm. um so my like I, I so I've suffered from depression um so moderate depression I guess is what's down on my medical records um and that sort of started like the symptoms really kicked in um probably when I was about 19 so I kind of my first year of uni but really it started like it hit proper on my second year of uni okay and in when I was like in when I was really bad I remember uh I had I would come home on a Friday get into bed I would stay in bed all weekend like like literally in bed like I'd get up to go pee and make like some toast and that's about it yeah. um like crying and and feeling absolutely horrendous I would stay there probably about Tuesday until about Tuesday or Wednesday so I'd miss my lectures so in a science degree it's very lecture heavy because yeah. we're not we don't read either the way like you do for history or something and then I would get out of bed for like my Thursday and my Friday lectures which was like two hours and then I'd go back into bed and so that was me at my worst and so actually you know I by the time I got to like actually finishing my degree I had to apply for extenuating circumstances um, because I just, I didn't feel that I, you know, I gave it my all. So I ended up getting a 2-2 anyway, um, but I think my extenuating circumstances played a really big part in it, but it was, I think it's one of the things I'm most disappointed about, um, which is why a couple of years later, I sort of got fixated with doing a master's, because I wanted to prove myself I could do higher education, <laughs> or, yeah. um, and so I then I did a master's, which I had to, you know, pay for and all of this kind of stuff. But I did that just to prove to myself that I could do it and that it was, you know, it, that was that really was extenuating circumstances. So, yeah, like I do have a degree in genetics and, you know, um, I do understand genetics a little bit, but I would not say I'm top of the class by any, okay. any sort of imagination. So by the sounds of it, it kind of sounds like, obviously, well it did start when you went to uni do you think that that had anything to do with it because I know that you come from like a really close-knit family um Mm. I think um so I've been through I've been to like loads of counsellors and stuff and I think so I have always had tendencies to um to like people please and um kind of, you know, put others before me and uh, kind of not feel that I'm good enough. Yeah. Like, um, and I've always had those tendencies, ever since I was little, actually. Um, and those tendencies aren't, aren't necessarily bad. You know, you, we do need to, you know, it can't, we can't be selfish people because then you can't get through life. But if they become, if that becomes your kind of modus operandi constantly, uh it, it will inevitably lead to feelings of, you know, 
low feelings and I think it had just it was just a build up of a lot of lot of that of like a you know 18 years of thinking in a certain way um and it's just kind of that change of going to uni which is like uni's like a really like you know um scary experience but also you know but particularly if you don't have very high self-esteem or um you know that kind of stuff it's like shocking in a way that you you know you're going to move to london and also at uni you're doing all the stuff that is really bad for mental health so you're going out and getting wasted all the time yeah you don't have a routine you don't sleep very well like you kind of ignore uni sometimes and then you get stressed out around exam time so you, you're kind of doing all the things that we know you're not eating very well at all um you're kind of eating like pasta and pesto constantly um so I think that kind of just you know being put in that stressful situation doing all those things that probably weren't very good for you mental health kind of triggered it I guess yeah it's like I, I feel like a lot of people are kind of just engineered to be susceptible to mental health problems, but sometimes it just takes that like big life change or just change of circumstances to kind of bring it to the surface. Like for me, it was when I finished uni and I kind of went out of that world of education and was suddenly like an adult that kind of hit me really badly. Yeah, and I I'd kind of agree with that in that I feel that, you know, when, like, when you have routine or when you, when life's going okay, for me anyway, um, it's really easy to kind of, it's kind of like that voice in my head that, like, begins those negative thoughts. It's really easy to quieten that voice down, right? Yeah. And it's really easy to do that when you, you know, you've got your routine, you're in a job that you've known what you're doing for ages, you're at uni and you know what you're doing and, you know, you're doing well. The moment there's a change, a big change, you become uncertain of yourself and it's harder to quieten down those thoughts. So like, for example, I changed jobs in April and it actually really um, uh, kind of knocked me a little bit, not because, you know, it's, you know, a, a vastly different job or anything, but I went from, I, my previous job, I was there for eight years, so I had, I knew everyone and everything, I knew how to do it. And now I'm in a place where I'm not doing a bad job, but I have to learn new stuff and meet new people and make new relationships and get people to trust me that I know what I'm doing. And that's kind of really sort of, so my, my voice is saying, well, maybe you're just not good enough or maybe you don't, you know, you're a fraud and you, you, you've got this job just, you know, uh, out of pure luck and people are going to find you out. Those voices are kind of creeping up. And it's harder to, to quieten them down when you're insecure in your situation around you, whether that's your home life, whether that's a change in jobs, whether that's, you know, you move to a new city and you don't know anyone. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's kind of like there are like moments in your life where you're, I feel that you're more susceptible to like feeling those kind of feelings in that, in that way. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and I think, um, it's some, sometimes those life changes can be like really good for your mental health and sometimes they can just kind of like put you in a really vulnerable position. Um, yeah, completely. But I also feel that, you know, part of my, um, part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you actually and I was like, yeah, I do want to tell my story is that currently we talk about mental health 
and mental health, we talk about it in the negative. So we only ever talk about mental health when um, something has gone wrong and we are anxious or we are depressed or something. But in the same way, if you have a body, you have a physical health. If you have a mind, you have a mental health. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I just don't think anyone really, you know, the government and public health professionals are constantly bombarding us with, you know, you must eat, you know, seven vegetables a day. You must move your body. You know, you must kind of, you know, all of these things. So if the, you, it, we're kind of trained to know what we have to do to keep our physical health in top shape, right? You know, we can't just sit on the sofa and eat like chips all day. Like that's just not you know something's gonna go wrong but no one really talks about how to keep your mental health in order no one really talks about okay well you need to make sure that you're having time out every week uh you need to make sure that um you have got a support network at work so that when you're stressed you can talk about it like no one or like no one says you know you must go and visit the seaside at least once a year because the sea is incredibly calming or whatever yeah, yeah. you don't you don't have no one really talks about those messages mental health is only ever spoken about when it's got to a point that it's chronic when actually we all need to be looking after our mental health at all points and you know if if you're changing jobs maybe you need to realize that actually this is a bit of a nerve-wracking time and so you need to schedule more trips to the pub with your mates because you know you need you need that you know yeah definitely Um, so I just yeah I just feel that's kind of one of my having like suffered from depression on and off for like 10 years now um I just feel like it's something that we only really talk like it's great that we're talking more about mental health but we I feel like the next step is to talk about it when it hasn't gone wrong when it's just you know your everyday life just as much as we talk about you know oh I need to lose a few pounds or I need to eat more vegetables and stuff yeah because I think if you're not actively taking care of your mind you are just basically a ticking time bomb especially like nowadays where we're just constantly bombarded with information and you know it's coming from like our phones and our computers and the tv and it's just like we're constantly like overwhelmed with stuff and like you know especially now the world's in a bit of like a crazy state if you're not taking care of yourself mentally I think even the most level-headed people probably crack eventually yeah and you know they'll crack at different points and over different things and stuff but yeah I just think it's worth always taking that into consideration like people are like oh I've been for a run three times this week so I'm doing good for my body but no one ever says oh do you know what I had 10 minutes out just closing my eyes and just like relaxing yeah so yeah I guess that's my little kind of soapbox piece about that no that's that's good and it's not something that um think I've explicitly covered yet in this podcast I think it's a really good point just like maintaining your mind in the same way that you would maintain your body because because at the end of the day you know your brain is a physical entity it 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 is a I guess a mental health condition in some ways you could argue is a physical health condition because it's an organ of your body that's malfunctioning so so you know you've got to take steps to make sure that you're looking after your brain yeah completely and I think I'm probably a bit more sensitive to that because so like when I was 19 I had a big bout of depression and I've been on like I went on antidepressants at that point and then I did it again like a 
I've been on antidepressants three times. So I've had kind of peaks and troughs, but so I'm not on them at the moment. And, and I don't think I don't believe in you're ever cured from depression. Like I just don't believe in it. I just think that I'm always going to be susceptible. But it does make me more kind of in my. Uh, I'm doing air quotes, which is not good on a podcast. But yeah. in, in my, uh, you know, healed state, I I feel like I need to be, be a bit more conscious about what I'm feeling and my mind and how my mind is. And you know, for example, I'm really conscious if I start forgetting stuff. Like I'm a really organized person. I'm a project manager right now. Like I am organized. The moment I start forgetting stuff, like my keys or my pass to get to work or something, I know that. Something's not right. Like I'm not, I'm not either not sleeping enough, or I'm not, you know, I'm not having enough time out, or something like that. And I think I'm con- like, I'm just conscious of that stuff. So I'm not in the depths of depression at the moment, but I'm really conscious about how my mind and how it's feeling. And if I'm if I'm feeling really angry and I can't pinpoint what that anger is about, it means I haven't dealt with something properly. You know, that's good. Though. And I, I think that. Sorry, gone. No, I was just going to say that's good. Like, <clears throat> it's really good to just be in tune with yourself and to just yeah. know those warning signs. Like, okay, something's wrong. What's wrong? Yeah. How do I fix it? Before it gets to the point where, you know, you need alternative help to fix it and you can't fix it yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, like, I think it's just, you know, on, on the flip side of that, the one thing I will say is that um, I... I, I think it's when you've been through lots of counselling and you've, you know, I'm I'm an academic person, so I read books about depression constantly and, and you know, <laughs> or I read books about anything. Like my friend Katie once joked that I need to read a book before I, like, tidy my drawer or something. Because <laughs> it's true, I read books about everything. Um, on the flip side of what I've just been saying, I'm also really conscious that I don't want to medicalise every feeling I have because it's really easy to be like, oh oh my god I've had a crap day I'm going to absolutely spiral into this depression again you know maybe you've just had a crap day and you are legitimately allowed to feel fed up and frustrated and angry about it you know and I'm I'm so even though I'm constantly like kind of I've always kind of got a looking at my emotions you know I'm also at the very, like, don't medicalize everything that you feel. You know, you're allowed to feel jealous and you're allowed to feel guilty and you're allowed to feel worried about stuff. It doesn't mean that, you know, that's a normal human emotion. And I just, I worry sometimes that we get to the point where, like, all emotions are bad and we kind of try and suppress that. And actually, that makes us worse. You know, like, you know, you're allowed to feel stuff. And I think I need to, I think it's important that we recognize that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think um, sometimes it's yeah, it's easy to forget when you're somebody who has uh, problems with depression, anxiety, or or anything like that. That having ba- a bad day is a normal thing that happens to everybody. And yeah, some- exactly. sometimes if I'm having a bad day, I panic and I think, oh god, like it's happening again. Like you know, I'm on a downward spiral or whatever. But I just need reminding that. No, it's okay. Like everybody has bad days every now and then. Tomorrow is another day, and it won't necessarily be another bad day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you know, as a society, we're very good at like boxing up feelings and pushing them away, which sometimes you have to do. I mean, you can't be like an emotional like wreck every single day, but sometimes you just need to feel it. Like it was, we had um, a family bereavement last year, and I and I 
uh, at work, um, so if you work for a big corporation, they usually have this. They've got like a, a helpline that you can call and it's completely confidential. Um, and I was just feeling like, oh my God, I think I might slip into this like weird depression again. Oh my God. And I called them up and I was just like, oh, this is, you know, they put me through to like a kind of on the phone counselor. And I was like, this is what I'm feeling. Da, 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 da. And she was like, that's just grief. Yeah. Like, it's normal. You know, that's like, what you're feeling right now is a healthy, normal process of grief. So, like, don't worry about it. This is not, you know, this is not, like, going to manifest itself into a horrendous depression or anything like that. You know, those feelings are legitimate and they're valid and you're just going to have to feel them because that's what grief is, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm also really conscious of that, I think. So something I was interested to talk to you about that's, I guess not unique to you but something that um I thought would be interesting to talk to you about is um you're Colombian you you weren't born in Colombia were you you grew up here it's just your family are Colombian yeah so my parents came here like in the 80s 82 I was born here and all my all my my brother and my sister were born here as well cool okay because obviously I'm from a half foreign family (laughs) so I know that different you know different cultures deal with mental health in different ways and I know that my Iranian family probably would not understand it in the same way that my English family do so coming from well being part of a family that's from a very different culture to I guess British culture have you found that that the way that you've dealt with it or the way that your family has reacted to it has been slightly different because of that? Because I think um, my my immediate family, so like my family, so okay, by virtue of the only people that I have in England are my mum, my dad, and my brother and my sister. Like I haven't got any aunties or uncles or grandparents or anything like that. So we're quite close. And then there has been an element, I would say, of educating my, particularly my mum, because I'm quite close to my mum, about what it feels like to to, to go through this and, and what it's like. Because my mum has, you know, she has a, the most wonderful, amazing attitude to life that I try and channel whenever possible. Yeah. Um, she's brilliant. So she she's never experienced that. Um, or if she had experienced anything that's, you know, uh, you know a, a challenging period in her life, it hasn't ever manifested itself into a depression, if that makes sense. It's just kind of, you know, she's just dealt with it. Mm-hmm. There has been an element of education there. And I, I mean, to a lesser extent, I haven't really spoken to my family in Colombia about it that much. I mean, I don't know how much my mum has really said to them, but I do feel like um, Colombia itself as a country is probably a bit further behind the way we are here in England. But also, like, you know, I think, I think in England and the UK, in the past 10, 15 years, the, the difference in how much we talk about mental health has changed massively. Mm-hmm. And um, I just feel that Colombia's probably a bit further behind than that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I also feel that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. Like, I've probably got more time on my hands to 
be thinking about my mental health whereas my granny had nine kids and she knows she has to just deal with them kind of (laughs) like she was so busy she probably wasn't sitting there thinking like oh my god I'm feeling a bit jealous of this person what does this mean yeah yeah. like psychoanalyzing herself yeah Yeah. so she's she probably doesn't hasn't psychoanalyzed herself ever in the same way that I have um but yeah there is I think there is a difference but my family have been super supportive and and it's just you know it's it's just it's kind of part of who I am in a way and it's kind of another thing that I've always always in my life been a bit I've been sensitive right I've I've always felt a lot of emotion and I've always you know like I I cry about five times a week like on stupid things like an advert that's really moving I will cry (laughs) me too (laughs) me too like I, like I will ball and my family know that that's the way I am and it's kind of just you know it's part of me feeling this it's just that sometimes it's led to something a bit more chronic yeah and not that I would ever say I I'm glad I got depressed um I would never say that and I'd never wish it on anyone it kind of is part of me it's who I am and you know yes, I need to probably be assertive in some areas of my life and I probably need to work on my self-esteem and maybe need to people please a little bit less. But I'm also a really caring person and I, I do everything for my friends. I would like lay down my life for them. And that's part of who I am. So I kind of, although I, I don't, I'm not glad it happened, I wouldn't change who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think since I've, um, especially in the last few years, since I've had to deal with um, depression in particular, it's made me a much more compassionate person. Because, oh, yeah, totally. Because I've seen, like, you know, I don't know, I've felt the lowest of the low, and it's it's just made me feel a lot more empathy towards other people. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting, something that you said about how you've always been quite a sensitive and emotional person, because... I definitely have as well. Like, I was always really sensitive growing up and, you know, very kind of open and in touch with my emotions. And I don't know whether that, in it, you know, that's another thing that just makes you a little bit more susceptible to getting depressed, just being so kind of, um, I don't know, not closed off with your emotions, just ha- always having your emotions on the surface maybe makes you just a little bit more susceptible to feeling, you know, really bad emotions as well. Yeah, I th- I feel a little bit like I am an emotional sponge. So I very much, like, if I'm around someone who is, um, not purposely, but just naturally their personality is a bit negative or a bit sarcastic and just, like, uh, always joke, you know, joking around about the bad stuff, for example... To them, that's a healthy way for them to be, and that that doesn't that doesn't trigger anything for them. But for me, like if I hang around too much with that person, I become this kind of negative, cynical person. I kind of like soak that up, mm-hmm. and it, it can for me that's really difficult then to climb out of. Whereas for them, that's just their personality, and that's just the way they are. You know, they're they're kind of you know self deprecating or whatever, and all that kind of stuff. But for me, because I, I I really soak it up, and I I also feel like I know. Uh, Maybe, maybe this is me being a bit too um, uh, big-headed, but I, I can re- I feel like I can read situations, like at work particularly, in meetings, I can read tensions a lot better. There are some people at work who just can't 
read situations at all and they think they, they go through and think everything's fine I'm like well that team clearly didn't like us saying that you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel like I can read situations so I feel like a little bit like an emotional sponge like I take on my um the feeling of a group quite easily yeah um, so I need to yeah definitely I think that's and maybe it's not so much being emotional that or having your emotions to the surface that is a, a, a trigger. It's not knowing how to separate your emotions with everybody, what's going outside, or protect your yourself, protect your own mental health compared to other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's, it's difficult because um, I think um, something that we spoke about in my episode with Alex in the last episode was that because she's never experienced depression, she can't really understand how it feels and I think for people who have had depression like I know I me personally I cannot imagine how it feels to be able to just switch off your emotions and not and not kind of let them overwhelm you I just can't imagine what that must feel like yeah yeah I get that and I think yeah it is hard I, I mean I don't think it's specific like I think lots of people feel overwhelmed it's whether you let it become chronic and I say let it by you know I don't mean it in that it's and it's not anyone's fault that they get depressed at all but if you don't if you've never had to be or if you've never learned to be that robust kind of no that's separate do you know what I mean it's it can easily overwhelm you because it does me you know completely yeah definitely definitely so um, another thing that I mentioned in the intro was how when I um, got quite ill with my depression, you were, um, despite not necessarily knowing me super well, you were like really helpful and you were there to like answer my questions and stuff and give me advice and offer support. Is that something that you found I, I don't know if you've had to do that with anyone else other than me, but I don't know if you're like, you know, a makeshift counsellor or something, but that must be something that's quite, like, rewarding and kind of almost... I mean, like you said, you know, you're not glad that you have depression, but it is part of you. Is it nice for you that you can use those experiences for, like, positive thing? Yeah, it is. And I think... I, think the, I mean, I don't go out seeking depressed people to like counsel in any way but I also know particularly when that first instance of you getting depressed or feeling low or feeling anxious the first time you feel that it is the scariest thing because you you don't know if you're ever going to get better 100% yeah yeah you've never like so I've, I've been up and down loads of times so I know you know, it like yes, when you're in the, like the lowest of the low, you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't see a way out. I can't, I can't do this. Well, that's how I feel anyway. But I know somewhere inside my brain, there's there's something saying, well, you've got out of this before and you'll be fine. But I think the first time you experience that, it's so overwhelming. You genuinely are like, oh my god, if 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 this is this is how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, I just I don't I don't I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I, and no one. It's kind of, you need, I feel like where I help is to say like, okay, well, do you know what? This is normal, but I promise you it does get better. Like Mm -hmm. it does. 
it might not get better tomorrow. It might not get better like in a couple of weeks. It might not even get better in a few months. But at one point, there will be a point where you feel better than you do now. But it's such a scary thing when it first happens that I, if I can help anyone at all um, in kind of navigating that, I feel, you know, really sort of like I have to. Yeah. Um, but also there are things where people, sometimes people don't realise that they're like quite low. They just think, because sometimes, so I think for you, you've explained, I think in the last episode as well with Alex, that it, came, it was like yours was kind of triggered because you got quite poorly with your like kidney stone. So yeah. yours quite, um, at least it appeared from the outside quite a, uh, an instant kind of thing. Whereas there are some people where actually this low mood has been creeping up for them for years and they'll talk to me about it because I'm an open person, people do open up to me. And I'm like, I have to be like, you know that this, how you feel is not a normal way to feel. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you you should go and talk to someone about this because, you know, crying every night or, um, you know, trying to express your emotions by eating or being so anxious you have to psych yourself up for 15 minutes to leave the house. That's not normal. But you, because people, this has crept up so slowly on them, they just kind of accept it. Yeah. So I think another part of it is being like, yeah, go talk to someone about that. Because actually, <laughs> I think, you know, you should. Because you'll have a better quality of life if you do begin, you know, not at the very beginning because you start unsurfacing stuff probably that's really hard. Um, but you, eventually learning about you and your triggers and your mental health and stuff like that is, is going, I think anyway, is better in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think obviously you're at a point and by the sounds of it, you have been for a while of acceptance with the I don't want to say your condition because it's not mm. your condition you know but you know the fact that you're susceptible sometimes to feeling low you've accepted that and it's nice to be able to kind of help people on the road to accepting that for themselves as well because getting to that point of acceptance I think I think because like you said if you have had depression, you're never going to be a hundred percent cured. But I think, yeah. but I think the best point you can get to is just a point of accepting it and just saying, okay, well, this is me. It's going to happen every now and then, but I'm okay with it because I've accepted it. Yeah, and also, you know, and I don't want to give the impression that like I never get low days. Just last Sunday, I was sort of like cleaning the bathroom and like crying to myself because I was just like oh god I feel really anxious and I just feel you know and yeah. I just sort of called my mum and I was in bed and I was crying and stuff like of course like I still get like that um but it's kind of yeah it's kind of knowing that that doesn't last forever and and uh yeah looking after yourself I think it's a bit like not that I've ever broken a bone but you know when you break a bone that bone is kind of weaker for the rest of your life. Like, if you were to fall again, it might happen. It might break in the same place again. Yeah. So for the rest of your life, you need to just be a little bit aware of that and, you know, do stuff maybe that don't put, doesn't put you, that bone, in a vulnerable position and stuff. Same kind of thing. Like, I've had depression, and I think, you know, um, you know, any life change could really do it again. So I just need to be a bit more careful around it and a bit more sensitive and, also know where there's situations that just really aren't good for me, aren't really good trigger, you know, drinking 
all weekend is not something I should do because I will wake up on Monday and I will feel horrendous emotionally. Yeah. Like I really will. Like that's just a thing. And don't get me wrong, I love some, I love Prosecco, but I know that really I should only really do that like one night a week or something. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah. Well, it's good to know kind of and to have that self-control and to know like this is not good for me. I should not do this. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it doesn't control my life, but I know that, like, <laughs> I'm not going to have an absolute blowout till four in the morning every single, like, every, on Friday and Saturday night. Like, it's just not, it's not good for me. Yeah, just Friday night. Yeah, just Friday night, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I guess um, something that's interesting to me and something that I completely, you know, can empathise with is still kind of having those bad days every now and then do you find that that ever kind of you you ever let that affect for example your work life or are you able to just like put on a brave face and just go into work and just not let it affect you so I I guess uh I'm I'm really open about my mental health but the one place I haven't been open with it is really at work yeah um and I think you know partly because there's a it's still there's still a huge stigma around it and also maybe I mean maybe I'm not giving my work enough credit but I don't want to miss out on any opportunities because they think I can't handle it yeah so I don't want them to be like oh I've got this really cool project but it's quite stressful um let's not give it to Andrea because she sometimes gets depressed so this is probably the wrong attitude to have and it probably doesn't help but fight that stigma of association about mental health. But that does mean that I, um, I, I do sometimes have to put a brave face on at work. But I also know kind of like how, you know, I also don't beat myself up about it. So if I have a day at work where I'm not very productive and I feel really anxious and I haven't really started my to-do list and I spend like half an hour tidying my desk because that will make me feel better, <laughs> I don't stand up in front of you know a big meeting and you know give present a report and stuff and I can do that um so I try and not let it affect that but I also don't beat myself up if it does if that makes sense yeah I think that's a good attitude to have I think yeah the reason I asked that is because so where I work now um there I've been quite open about my mental health and they're like really cool about it and I know that if I like For example, this has never happened to me and I don't think it would, touch wood. But if I was having like a really bad day and I physically couldn't go into work, I know that they'd understand that. But I've just got a new job and Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like just a worry in the back of my mind that like even if, I don't know when is it okay to mention it, should I even mention it? Because it's not something that, I've never had to take a day off work, it's never affected my work, but... I, they don't know that and I can't prove that to them so it's yeah. it's quite a scary thing it's like how open can you be about it especially at work oh completely and it's something that I struggle with and people you know m- some of my friends who also suffer from mental health you know like when I got a job I, I reached out to them when I got this job because uh, 
I guess my company's a big corporation, you have to fill in like a medical form, like, you know, have you ever suffered from anything that could affect your work and stuff? And I reached out to one of some of my friends who and I was just like, Oh, do you think I should be honest here? And they were like, Oh, well the thing is the stigma is so bad and because you've never missed a day of work because of it, I would just not say anything. Um, because and, and I and I didn't, you know, and I it's a real it really um, annoys me because I'm so open about it in every other aspect of my life, but I wasn't there. What now I'm, I'm at work, I think if I could be like, you know, I get on well with my boss and I think if I pulled her aside and said, look, I just wanted to let you know I suffer from this um, because I feel like I've proved myself a little bit. I feel like I could now pull her aside and be like, by the way, this is what happens. Like, it's not an issue at all but I just want to let you know in case I ever do need to go see the GP or you know that kind of stuff but I, I feel and maybe this is the wrong attitude to have but for me once I proved myself I can kind of uh I feel like I can be a bit more open about it if that yeah. makes sense yeah because I mean it's stupid it's a stupid way to feel because actually if I had chronic arthritis and I had a flare-up one day Nobody would think twice about calling up to work and be like, look, I really can't sit at a desk and work today. Like, I'm so sorry, but I will, you know, stay at home, look after myself and I'll come in tomorrow. No one would think twice. Like, and nobody would ever be like, well, she's making it up. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. uh, or, why did she pull herself together? She knows she's got to finish this project in two weeks. Like, nobody would ever, ever say that. Um, but there's something about it being in your mind people are like oh god why can't she just pull herself together or you know like it's only in her brain you know is this really gonna affect her she could just sit she's only sitting at a desk you know and I just I just worry about that still and so I haven't been open with them really yeah yeah it's um something that I briefly spoke about with um Ollie Knight which I think was episode three and we were saying how like it should be just one of those things that, like, you could just call up your boss and just say, like, look, you know, I'm not in a fit state to work today. And it shouldn't be, like, something that's frowned upon. It should just be the same as if, you know, yeah, like, you know, you have arthritis or, you know. Or you just get a cold. Like, I got a really bad cold and I had to take a day off. And I had no problem calling up my boss being like, look, I there's no point in me coming to work today. I feel really ill. I'll get better quicker if I stay at home. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, sh- it should be like that. And uh, and I think that one day it will be. Um Yeah. Because something interesting that and being from like a science scientific background, you may agree with this or you may have another opinion on it, but something that I read was that essentially the world the world has changed more in the last kind of 100, 150 years than it had for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before that. And we, as organic matter, haven't been able to evolve at the same speed as that. So we've got to a point now where technologically the world is much more further advanced than we are biologically. And it's just, it's a hard world to live in for a human now you know we haven't been able to adapt to it quick enough and that's why I think um you're well I know that I am finding 
um, that a lot more of my friends are coming out and saying that they've, they're suffering with anxiety and depression. You know, a lot of celebrities are as well. And I think it's just genuinely because the world, the world we're living in now is just not an easy world to live in. That's a good point actually I think that's a really yeah. good point I think maybe it's just kind of our generation for example I mean we I guess we fit into a similar age bracket when yeah. I was a kid um the thought of kind of well I mean stuff like social media social media didn't exist nobody yeah. had mobile phones really I mean I got my first mobile phone I think when I was like 11 or 12 but I see kids now who are like six or seven with bloody iPhones so yeah. for us I think we witnessed the change yeah. and we had, we maybe had, had to adapt to that change but yeah I think kind of the next generation is something that they're gonna have known their whole lives so it won't yeah. be as overwhelming maybe but I also think um what has happened in the past like a hundred years or whatever is kind of um, the medicalization of mental health. So, you know, um, you know, people, people have suffered from mental health issues for as long as there have been humans, but they were never medicalized as an issue. So, you know, women in Victorian time had hysteria, right? Yeah. But, you know, Actually, that was them sort of oppressed as women and leading these lives where they had to like, you know, you know, they had no way out and all this kind of stuff, which isn't like a mental health issue, but it was like, oh, hysteria. But so like, I think nowadays what you're getting is, you know, actually people, you know, before, if you were anxious, you'd be classed as just a nervous person. But now actually people are recognizing that is a medical condition. Yeah, it was it was. So every time, like, a new kind of manual, so that, uh, I can't remember what the acronym stands for now, but the DMV-5 or whatever, but basically the DSM or something, like, it's a new manual that medicalizes all mental health conditions, psychiatric conditions. Every time that comes out, 
you're almost like the statistics of the people who suffer from mental health go from like one in five to one in three kind of thing because actually they begin to recognize more more things that are issues you know um so i think that is another reason that it's increasing is that people finally have a name for actually do you know what i'm not just a nervous person not being able to leave the house until i've checked like every single you know uh plug 50 times is actually a form of you know maybe ocd kind of thing so there i feel like as we become medicalizing a bit more people put a name so they can start talking about this stuff yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I think that makes a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, it's funny because, um, well, it's not funny, really, but um, there's a, uh, in the village I grew up in, um, there's this kind of like story, which is true, um, about uh, a young woman who killed herself. She drowned herself in the Victorian pond at Holdenby House and um I found the old newspaper clipping this was like 1909 maybe and it said that she had suffered with a nervous disposition yeah that's that's probably the Victorian term for anxiety really yeah Um, or like you know uh, or whatever but actually what she'd just been told in her life she's like you're just nervous and no one had really given her the help that she needed because we didn't we didn't know about it then yeah but it's it's really interesting part of so my master's I did was in, um, it's called Science Media Production, so it was kind of telling science and health stories through media, so through like TV and documentaries and the radio. And my um, my dissertation was a 30-minute radio documentary on mental health, um, well, the changing attitudes to mental health in society and how that's changed. And I interviewed lots of people about it. And I interviewed... Um, this woman called Claudia Hammond, who is like a presenter on, on like BBC Radio, a, a mental health program. And she was talking about how, you know, even though it is great that we're talking about mental health, there is like um, in some air, like there is some thoughts that actually it, it's not helpful for people who are, for example, have chronic schizophrenia, who are sectioned for it, it might not be helpful for them to say that one in three people suffer from mental health because that's very different to, you know, being anxious. Not that that's not as important, but it is a very different thing. So it's kind of, you know, there is um, some schools of thought that wonder how much those statistics, like one in three, one in four people will suffer from mental health in their life or mental health issue in their life, are useful because it doesn't distinguish between someone who cannot lead a normal life and has to be sectioned completely because it's their imbalance in their brain is so terrible to someone like me who is like a super functioning like high functioning person holds down a job has friends you know lives in london um so it's just really interesting like i don't i I don't i don't have an opinion i don't really know but um it's really interesting that kind of school of thought there yeah i think yeah i guess um like a lot of things it is a spectrum of severity and you know at one end you've got um schizophrenia and you know personality disorders and you know really severe mental health conditions um that require um I guess more drastic action but then on the other end yeah you've got you know people I I mean I wouldn't because I I don't want to 
make anything sound less serious than anything else if you're on that spectrum it's still you know a serious thing and it's still a massive part of your life but yeah like there's it's like you know sexuality or like autism you know a lot of a lot of things fall onto a spectrum and it's just where you fall on that spectrum and I don't know whether those statistics are just covering that entire spectrum or if they're just covering part of that spectrum I think it's just for me, um, I, I don't know if statistics are useful, but actually for me, as if it is affecting your life and it's affecting in a way that doesn't lead, let, allow you to lead the life that you want to lead or that is, you know, a good quality of life, then it's a problem. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So whether it's just, you know, just, just is a terrible word, whether that's anxiety on one end or actually, yeah, you have to be, you know, have some real heavy dose medication to be able to silence some voices in your head, you know? Yeah. But I think it's it's so important and um, I think this might be a good point to wrap up is that you are an example that it can be overcome and you can live, uh, air quotes again, normal life. Um, you just have to get to that point where you know what you need to do to um, to deal with those issues. Yeah, completely. Yeah, com- yeah. I think it is, it is that and it's just knowing and also understanding that this is normal life, you know? Like... Yeah. Um, it's normal to feel down and feel happy and that kind of stuff. It just happened for me, it got chronic at one point. But, like, this is, you know, I, you know, it, it, when I'm down, I'm like, why can't I just be normal? Why is it so easy for everyone else? And I have to remind myself, what, like, when I'm out of that, that this is normal and this is how a lot of people do feel. And, you know, it's no easier for me or, or them. You know, it's just life and... You need to learn how to live with it. this episode thanks again to andrea for joining me as always please do get in touch if you have any questions or experiences to share it's crazy talk the podcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on facebook at crazy talk the podcast where you'll also find details for help and support from people who actually know what they're doing unlike me if you like the podcast please do subscribe rate and share that's always cool and will help the podcast to reach more people i will be back again in two weeks until then take care guys